the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and a good afternoon to you. Good to have you with us today. It's another edition of Lifeline here on this Tuesday for the 30th day of July. My goodness, we're halfway through summer. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Got a jam-packed program for you tonight. Coming up a little bit later on in our show, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Greg Jantz will join us. We're going to talk about an issue that a lot of folks struggle with, a lot of folks uh, maybe not on a consistent basis, but at one time or another in life, through a series of events and circumstances beyond our control, a lot of people end up dealing with depression. How long that depression lasts, how deep-seated it becomes, how deeply it impacts your life, of course, varies from person to person. For the individual that has spent a lifetime dealing with depression and feels as if you keep coming up on the short end of the stick, we're going to talk about how to heal depression for life. Dr. Gregory Jantz joins us to talk about his latest book, which is, I don't say about another book on depression. This one's very unique. We'll find out why coming up later on in the first hour of tonight's program. I want to leave off first with a conversation with the San Mateo County DA. There has been, a, and, and you know, unless you're a business owner, you may not see this, you may not understand it, but the impact is felt by ultimately all of us, and that is the impact of what happens when there is, uh, well, what else do we want to call it, short of simply manipulating the workman's comp system and the resulting fraud, which costs not only employers, but I think ultimately all of us pay a severe price when there is fraud within the system. We saw perhaps one of the biggest peaks of all this back on the heels of the 2008-2009 economic decline when so many people lost their jobs and when they ran out of their unemployment benefits, they simply shopped for a doctor, got a note, applied for workman's comp, and uh, headed off gleefully to uh, get a nice big fat check, even though technically they're not really disabled. It's become a problem affecting business owners at a significant degree all across the country. Here to talk about it is the District Attorney for San Mateo County, Stephen Wagstaff. And Stephen, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. 
And Craig, thank you for letting me join you on the show today. How has this gotten so far out of control? I mean, there's a system of sex checks and balances that are automatically built in. It's not as if you just sort of show up at uh, the Social Security office and say, gee, my back is bothering me. Where's my money? Uh, and yet, sadly, as I suggested in my opening remarks, the system gets manipulated and taken advantage of to the tune of billions of dollars every year. In fact, I've read in California alone it's more than $4 billion a year. You're absolutely correct you're, um, in your description of the problem. Nationwide, the estimate is approximately $80 billion a year in fraud wow. is occurring, costing every taxpayer in this nation between $300 and $500 a year. And for the companies that suffer from this fraud, uh, the estimate is that it's eating up 5 to 20% of their claim volume based on fraud. So, yes, it indeed has become a pretty substantial problem in our community. Now, the system, of course, is in place for a very important reason. It is designed to be able to assist workers who are injured on the job, who otherwise would lose their paycheck, lose their livelihood, perhaps even lose their home or their ability to care for their family because they can't work. They're not technically unemployed, they're just no longer, at least perhaps on a temporary basis, capable of carrying out their physical job while they are in, hopefully, a process of recovery from some sort of work-related injury. So in terms of what the system is designed to do, it's wonderful, and it serves a very necessary purpose. Unfortunately, some folks have figured out how to manipulate and take advantage of all this. You're absolutely right. You know, in California, we've had the workers' compensation system since 1913. So it's 106 years old, and the goal was exactly what you described, so that workers could have that financial support while they're recovering and not have to wait till some lawsuit gets settled two to five years down the road. And on the meantime, the for the employers, they know that they'll be able to um, provide support to their workers, not have to deal with the expense of litigation, and hopefully get those workers back within a short period of time. That, of course, is the the ideal goal here. But meanwhile, as you point out, this is really an issue of fraud that ultimately impacts all of us. It's like people that steal from the grocery store. We might not directly be stopped on our way out and told, hey, you got to pay another dollar today because somebody yesterday sold, uh, you know, $50 worth of T-bone steaks. But in the end, we really ultimately pay an additional price for that sort of thievery. And I suppose, likewise here, not only businesses, but even individuals, employees and employers, end up paying an additional price because of this fraud, don't they? Yes, very much. That it, And it does come. This type of fraud isn't one that one attributes to the workers or to the employers. It's from all angles. It's from all sides. It includes lawyers who have cappers who are going out uh, into the streets to try and round up uh, people that they can then get into the system and commit fraudulent acts. It includes employers who are not properly paying their workers' compensation insurance, uh, doctors who are more than willing to be mills of um, supporting false claims. So it's a big issue, and it's one that in California we're trying to both as a uh, prosecutorial agency and the Department of Insurance, as well as private organizations such as the Workers' Compensation Action Network, are working very hard to try and stop the fraud because it truly is eating away at our society. Now, you just had a gathering of local business people and industry leaders talking about this very issue. On the heels of that town hall meeting, what did you learn, and ultimately what can all of us learn to help reduce the level of fraud in California? 
you know, it falls into two categories. And again, this uh, town hall meeting that the Workers' Compensation Action Network held last Friday was outstanding. I learned a lot um, from listening to the other speakers and from the approximately 100 uh, business owners who were there talking. The, the biggest thing is, and this was the advice that was given um, to our um, potential victims here, which is when you see something occurring, don't just sit there quietly. Keep your eyes open for it. Don't just assume that everything is on the up and up. From my office, it's to make sure that we look at not just um, you know one type, because there's four different types of workers' comp fraud. Not just look at the one of the injured worker, but keep looking at the employer, too, because there's overcharging. Um, there are cheaters on, on all sides of it. And what it really takes is for all small businesses to take a look. And when they see something that seems askance, you raise it. You bring it up just like everything else, and you and we and you can report it to us, the Department of Insurance, to the network, because we're looking to get at that. You know, there's really two different types that we're encountering. And here in Northern California, it tends to be more individual type of fraud, both worker, employer, doctors, and we've prosecuted uh, all of them for various fraud. Southern California seems to have more of these large networks, literally hundreds and hundreds of people working together to commit fraud. Indeed, the United States attorney down there just in the last couple of years convicted um, over 300 people for committing this fraud where they're ripping off the system with uh, fraudulent claims, doctors and lawyers doing fraudulent claims, lawyers getting uh, convicted and doctors convicted and sent to jail. Until that gets out there, until we are able to do this on a wider basis, the fraud will continue to truly be a plague on our uh, society. And as you point out, there's uh, there's plenty of culpability to go around. It's not just the doctors who are perhaps in cahoots and uh, the employees that are happy to get a paycheck when they're not really injured. There's there's guilt and responsibility to go all the way around. And, and perhaps your advice is, is the simplest. We talk about this in relationship to uh, terrorism and homeland security, and I think it's uh, sound advice when it comes to um, workman's comp fraud as well, and that is if you see something, say something, meaning that if there's something suspicious going on, if if your next-door neighbor hasn't been working for months and months and he tells you, oh, yes, I've got this back injury and I, can, I can't lift over 10 pounds, and then on the weekends you know that he's going to motorcycle uh, bike riding or, uh, you know, <laughs> adding, adding a third floor to his house and doing the construction work himself, that's probably a case of fraud. Yes. And that's where, as you just said, we need people to say something about it. Because I, I have in Little San Mateo County here, I have a team of two prosecutors and four investigators that full-time they're spending um, looking at this type of a fraud to try, and they have full caseloads here. And it's even on a broader scale down in some of the bigger uh, urban areas. And you're right, until we say no more, until we stop. And it does cross all areas. For instance, we uh, we convicted a city councilwoman in our uh, county for that. We convicted a deputy sheriff for that here in the last, just this year. So it really does cross. We've convicted doctors. There was a doctor we convicted uh, a year and a half ago who was uh, billing, uh, performing work, that dental work that didn't need to be done, uh, including, you know, um, regular, I mean, root canals and things like that that didn't need to be done. There's another case from another county where somebody was doing back surgery that didn't need to be done just to uh, get a claim in. Wow. They were, they were caught, they're convicted, 
but we know there's more out there, and people just need to let us know. And, of course, the irony is now what you're talking about is not just a case of, of fraud and uh, taking advantage of the system, but also degrees to which it can be very dangerous if you're potentially performing unnecessary surgeries that's going to put a patient at risk just be, because you're trying to generate a medical bill. That's that's pretty scary stuff. It sounds like what you really need then from, uh, from all of us, from taxpayers and employers and workers, is to help be your eyes and ears that if we see something suspicious or hear something suspicious to contact the DA's office. Yes, because every, every DA's office certainly has a uh, workers' comp fraud division, and you can call up the DA's office and say, I want to report something, and we will look into it. And easily across the Bay Area, San Mateo County, where, of course, Stephen Wagstaff is the DA, Alameda County, San Francisco, Santa Clara, Contra Costa. If you just uh, do a Google search online for your county and look up DA's office, you'll find information concerning workers' comp fraud right there. Our thanks to Stephen Wagstaff, San Mateo County District Attorney, for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. Important information. All right, let's get some more important information regarding your traffic and the commute home today. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Officials here in the Bay Area now indicating that victims in Sunday's mass shooting at Gilroy are now improving. One victim was upgraded from serious to good condition that was earlier today at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center. However, other individuals wounded in the shooting are still in serious condition. The mass shooting happened at the Gilroy Garlic Festival on Sunday as it was concluding late in the afternoon. The annual three-day event, of course, attracts over 100,000 people from all over the state. Sadly, 13-year-old Kayla Salazar, 6-year-old Stefan Romero, and 25-year-old Trevor Irby died from gunshot wounds. Twelve others were injured. The gunman, 19-year-old Gilroy native, was killed by police during the rampage. Sadly, when these events happen, and we can go down the list, it's a very long one, Las Vegas, Sandy Hook, San Bernardino, Columbine, now adding Gilroy to that list and many others. Uh, it, typically what we hear is either a demand for greater gun control laws or politicians saying, our thoughts and prayers are with you and the victims. And, of course, at the end of the day, absolutely nothing happens from either side, and it's a stalemate. With some comment, we're joined by Mark Walters. Mark is the uh, member of the National uh, Board of Directors for Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Mark, we appreciate you taking time to be with us. Well, thank you, Craig. I appreciate you having me on the program today. Uh, These events, of course, are heartbreaking every time we see them, and sadly, they seem to spark debate for a week or two, there's some discussion, speeches are given from the floor of Congress, and then quickly we forget about them until the next sad event happens. And remarkably, the United States seems to be one of the few Western cultures that has to deal with this ongoing problem. And as I say, uh, there seems to be a lot of talk, but not much action going on. How do we address this issue of wanton gun violence of this nature, where it's mass people, mass shootings, how do we address it in a significant fashion to try to stop it? It's, you know, I wish I had the answer to that. I, I would probably write a book and, and, uh, and, and pass that answer around to everybody. But it's unfortunate that what we're talking about here is, Craig, we're dealing with evil, 
And a lot of people forget because it's been so politicized that it's impossible to talk about now. This is one of those things where the genie is out of the bottle. You've got one side that's dug in and trenched over here. You've got another side over here that says, they're coming for my guns. You've got another side over here that says, yeah, in fact, we are. And another side over here. Everybody's dug in in this day and age of 24-7, instantaneous media, instant information right here in your pocket. And there's absolutely no room anywhere for anybody to move on at all. And the problem here is it's not law-abiding citizens and their guns. And the problem over here is not just lack of gun control on this side. We have a problem in this country. We have evil people in this country. There are, and it's not just this country. You mentioned that, that you know, it's unique to, to America. It's not unique to America. We're number 30, by the way, as far as per capita gun violence. We're less than five homicides by gun per 100,000 people. You know, Brazil is over 50. Mexico is over 48 per 100,000. And we have to look at that in a per capita basis. This is a country of 320 million people. And unfortunately, I think, in my own opinion, as a radio host and as a, as a member of the board of directors of the CCRKBA and an author that focuses on this, this subject on a daily basis for a living, I believe that we have, unfortunately, media glorification in many cases that leads these people to think, hey, guess what? I'm going to go over here. It's a gun-free zone. I'm not going to have anybody firing back at me for the most part, defenseless, and we know this for a fact because we've read the manifestos. We know what these killers are doing. For example, Newtown, he wrote and studied for two years. He glorified the Columbine killers and others and went on to point out that he went to that school because it was a gun-free zone. We know this. We've seen this 98% of the, of the time that we see something like this, it happens in a gun-free zone. In this particular case, the killer avoided going through the security checkpoints. He essentially... What he did was he wiped out all of California's gun controls, let's put it that way. And there's no new single law that's going to stop somebody from doing this. And fortunately, thank God, it wasn't really a gun-free zone because there was armed law enforcement there that put evil down within about one minute and no doubt saved countless countless lives. Well, and the, the goofy thing about this is, I think that the disingenuous part about all this, Mark, is that when, whenever these are uh, these declarations are made of, of gun-free zones, and, and we've seen it taken to other degrees, too. We've seen uh, signs in urban cities that say, hate-free zones, or my personal favorite, nuclear-free zone, as if Kim Jong-un is going to say, oh, when we drop the bomb on San Francisco, make sure it avoids the city of Hayward, because that's a nuclear-free zone. I mean, it, it, these kinds of proclamations seem to do little, if anything. And, and, and sadly, like in this case here, there's also some consistency where, or inconsistency where in California, he could not have purchased this weapon because he's under the age of 21. But in Nevada, he could do it because he was 18, buy the weapon in Nevada, bring it into California, avoid the medical metal detectors by cutting through part of the, the, uh, the fencing and kind of attack from the rear, so to speak. And I suppose no proclamation of gun-free zones or this this is, this is a, harm, a harmony-filled, peace-loving community was going to make any difference. No, absolutely not. And, and you just pointed out what you just said, 100%. I agree with 100%. It's 100% factual. I, I, I was having a conversation with a couple people yesterday on air. I've done a number of interviews today. I've got another one to do at about 10 p.m. before I round out today, plus my own uh, radio program today where I was discussing this in great detail. And when someone said to me, well, we just he, he bought it in Nevada. Uh, he, but he took it to California in violation of California law. So show me the new law that California can put into effect. You see, 
we have to understand, it's, it's so frustrating because we have this conversation, you know, time after time after time. Criminals don't follow the law. And I would ask your, honest, your intellectually honest listeners in the Bay Area to think about this for just a moment. Show me, tell me that one law that a criminal is going to follow that's going to change his mind. Should we put a billboard up that says no murder allowed in this town? It doesn't work. Criminals break the law. And, well, if you couldn't have got the gun in Nevada, maybe the whole country should have 21. I'll make the argument to you right now that 18 years old is an adult. That's what our laws say. Does he lose his constitutional rights? He passed the background check. He passed a federal background check in Nevada. He would have passed that background check if he were 21 in California. It's the same federal background check. So I would make the argument for you that we don't take away constitutional rights of someone between 18 and 21 when they're capable of passing the background so, check. So what's background the answer here, then, at the end of the day? Is, is it, is, and, and you're right. You, your, your observation is absolutely on the money. I mean, you know, uh, who's ever had their home broken into or their car broken into and said, well, that can't be possible. We have laws against it. Well, you know, the laws are there to keep the honest people honest, right? Like locks are in place to keep the honest people out. So we, we know that, yes, in order to, to try to, to maintain some degree of civil society, we need to have laws and rules and regulations, but they're really only designed to, uh, to control the behavior of those that are willing to pay attention to them, that have some sort of a moral compass that allows them to do so. So what's the answer then? An armed citizenry? I mean, um, by the grace of God, there were law enforcement officers very nearby that were able to quickly return fire and put this guy down before he did any more severe damage and it didn't suddenly escalate to what happened in Las Vegas a year ago. Um, if there were more people around there that were either with concealed weapons or otherwise, do you think that would have been a deterrent? I don't know. I, that's, that's something that we don't know. It's, 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 it's hypothetical that I, I can't read the future. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I don't know if that sign would have clearly he violated the, the no-gun rules. He knew, it was a no, he knew it was a gun-free zone, and he didn't care about that law. So I don't know that it would have kept him out. He had to know there were a lot of law enforcement there. So it's, it's impossible to get into the heads of these lunatics. I was in to, uh, Tombstone, Arizona, three weeks ago, celebrating their Freedom Days events for a weekend. And I noticed while I was there that every school in Tombstone, the Tombstone Unified School District, had a warning. Teachers may be armed. Any attempt to harm our children may be met with deadly force. It's right there on the, the entrance of every single one of the schools by the main doors and the side doors at each one of those school districts. We know that for a fact that it's a deterrent because people tend to walk away from those and go to, for example, the Aurora, Colorado uh, shoot, a theater shooter, went, the Batman shooter, went to a specific theater and wrote and told us about it because it was gun-free, and he knew it was gun-free. And for that matter, he was right down the road from a police department, but he went to the one that was gun-free because he knew he wasn't going to face any resistance. And I sat on a panel on uh, the Stossel Show on Fox News a number of years ago with a dear friend of mine, Susanna Hupp, who was in the Ruby Cafeteria's a Ruby cafeteria in Colleen, Texas, in 1991, when uh, Madman drove his truck through the window, busted into the thing, busted out his two pistols, and began shooting at random customers inside that were eating lunch. Her parents were both killed. She and six other people following Texas law left their firearms in the truck. When asked by John Stossel on that panel that I sat with her on, if you, had, if you were able to have your gun, Susanna, would it have made a difference? And her response was, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. However, one thing I do know is it would have changed the odds. It would have changed the odds. So it's impossible to, unfortunately, we just simply don't know when evil is going to act. We have a right to defend ourselves. 
I don't know if somebody could have gotten there any quicker. We just saw in 7-Eleven in, in Virginia Beach just two days ago. Two individuals walked in, a concealed carry permit holder put one of them down, the other one fled, and the woman whose life was saved was on her hands and knees praising God that the individual was in there with a firearm to stop her potential killer. So it's, it's a problem, and I can tell you one thing for certain. Gun-free zones are utter failures, period. And this just points out again one more time the failure, epic failure, of California's gun control laws because there is no magic law that's going to stop people from acting. Well, especially when you've got people that are, that are crazy and determined to, uh, to create harm one way or another. Our thanks to uh, Mark Walters for being with us, National Board Member of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. 531 from KFAX. Get a look at traffic for you right now. Once again, another update from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You are perhaps, if you're like most people, one time or another in life you've dealt with bouts of depression. Well, maybe not anything necessarily clinically diagnosed, but when you were there, maybe you alone knew it. Maybe it was the loss of a parent. Maybe on the heels of loss of a job and you just couldn't find fresh employment again and The economic pressure of it all began to put you into that funk that led to a state of depression. Maybe you're somebody who has struggled with varying degrees of addictions, and depression has attended your life in one form or another for a long time, for many years. You know, down through the years, there have been hundreds now, there have been thousands of books written on the topic. And usually the formula is pretty basic. Talk it out, express your feelings, Take some pills. Hope for the best. My next guest says, you know what? It's time for a new approach. He's best-selling author, Dr. Gregory Jantz. You've um, perhaps seen his books. He's been a guest on this program uh, many times down through the years. He's got more than 25 best-selling books on topics that range from addiction to depression to eating disorders. He has uh, been honored for running the number one clinic in the U.S. for depression treatment. And he has written a new book called Healing Depression for Life. And Dr. Jantz, great to have you on the show again. Oh, always good to talk to you, Craig. No, the irony here is, and we've talked about this topic before, and, and, and as we say, with, with, with no ill intent toward any clinician out there, any pastor, any MFCC that has dealt with clients and patients um, that, that have suffered from varying degrees of depression, the notion of talking things out, working your way through, trying to kind of get past all of the feelings and emotions, and if that's uh, not adequate, uh, then here, let me write you a prescription. And for a lot of Americans, uh, perhaps that works okay. But there's a growing percentage of Americans for whom just talking it out and popping some pills doesn't work. Or if it does, the effects are only temporary. You're taking an entirely fresh and new approach in this new book, and you even dare to suggest that depression can be healed for life. Tell us what's different about your approach. Well, first of all, I really do believe there's hope, and I also believe that there's uh, a spiritual side to this that needs to be addressed as well. 
and probably only could could be as bold to say this because I've uh, been working with folks now. It's 36 years. The biggest thing that we see is depression and anxiety. And so this really is my life's work uh, up to this point on this topic of depression because this is going to sound kind of strange, but if you're struggling with depression or you have a loved one, of, of all the times in history, this is the best time to be depressed. <laughs> so here's why. We, we actually have more answers than ever before. But the problem is, is getting those together. We look at a person's life, the whole person, like a thousand-piece puzzle. Um, my wife does puzzles, and I, I've, I've never really understood it until I looked at it one day and go, a thousand-piece puzzle. That's what we do when we're helping somebody with depression. We're putting in all the different pieces. It's never a single piece. Um, and so we really want to look at this from a, a vantage point that there is hope, and there's going to be missing pieces of the puzzle. And we're going to stay with it until we find all those pieces. And it varies from individual to individual, doesn't it? I mean, not just the source of the depression. I alluded to a couple, and the list, of course, goes on ad nauseum. But when you talk about the ways in which it impacts people or uh, the way that it's capable of of affecting us, your book suggests that it's more than just a head thing. It can be a head thing. It can be a heart thing. It can also be a chemical or a physical thing, too, can't it? Yes, and there's a lot of hidden causes to depression, and a lot of times people are going to feel guilty, misunderstood, they feel shameful, like, what is wrong with me? Uh, I've had people say, you know what, I, I, I'm a good Christian, and I don't know, why am I being punished? Uh, I'll give you two examples that came uh, here just this uh, last week. One is a person who suffered depression. Uh, it was in excess of 20 years, kept getting worse and worse. And uh, depression always affects sleep. And I was involved um, years past in sleep research. And so we looked, and this, this person had some pretty significant sleep apnea that over time uh, had a really compounding effect upon depression and in anxiety in their life. And so, you know, it's a prayer of, of wisdom uh, of show me what are, what are the missing pieces to the puzzle. Uh, when we treated that, uh, you began to see a new life uh, begin to, to kind of come back in this person's life. And so the, the root or the core of, of it was uh, a sleep disorder. So this is why there's a lot of different uh, reasons and solutions. Um, certainly there is brain chemistry. Another recent example is a person who uh, uh, recently uh, completed a program here with us, and uh, he said to me, he said, I never knew I was so full of bitterness in my life and what that has done to me, and it wasn't until I forgave that this depression lifted. So, you know, so there's other reasons for it. So some things can be lifelong events, a bad relationship, a bad experience with someone years ago, and as you suggest, over time, that root of anger and bitterness uh, gets deep-seated. And, you know, you think about roots, you see, my goodness, roots from a small tree, and they're able to invade sewer systems and block up your sewer or, or even cause cracks in the concrete. We've all walked by a sidewalk and seen sections lifted up 
by the power of a slow-growing root system, but once it takes hold, it can do severe damage. So there's some things that go back historically, others that might be more recent in life. Older folks all know as we reach a certain point in life, you feel as if you, you just don't get as much sleep. You feel as if you don't need as much sleep as you used to. If that suddenly turns into a problem where you're not getting adequate sleep, My goodness, I would imagine after a while being tired, being cranky, um, not really having sharp mind focus, all of those sorts of things can conspire to create a sense of depression, and you might not even make the connection, as you have. Yeah, and you may not make the connection. And this is why, you know, one of the things that happens is if you're living with somebody who's been, you know, really struggling with depression, it's not getting better, it can be really frustrating uh, for you as a loved one, because you go, you know, I really want to help, but nothing I do helps. And for the person who's struggling, you know, they keep feeling like, wow, there's something really wrong with me, and I feel guilty, I'm a burden to everybody. And you can see that the complications that emerge uh, with this. And, you know, the World Health Organization does right now tell us that uh, depression is the number one. They're calling it a disability. So a disability uh, in the world the number one disability—that's amazing. Well, you can certainly see the way in which varying degrees of depression can indeed be disabling. Uh, it, it may not be disabling to the point where uh, you're not able to go to work and function, though. In severe cor- cases, of course, that is very true. But just think about even in the minor things where it disables your ability to carry on a healthy relationship with your spouse or your children. Maybe even that sense of depression, unbeknownst to you is disabling toward your ability to even engage in a relationship with God. So I guess there can be multiple layers where depression, if it goes undetected, undiagnosed, or misdiagnosed and not properly addressed or treated, can be life-disabling. It really can be. And and this is nothing to feel like, feel bad about. I think probably what is maybe been the most frustrating is we've just tried a singular approach. Maybe it's just, I, well, I, I went to the doctor, I got this medication, and well, maybe I'm a little better, but boy, I'm just not myself. I'm not, and, and things get worse. Well, we've we've just tried one single approach, and really what I want to open up is let's look at the whole person, let's be really comprehensive, and let's also understand um, that there could be multiple causes Uh, for this in a person's life, and so let's address it that way. Have we perhaps been done a disservice because so much of modern medicine has almost exclusively, historically, leaned on sort of the, uh, well, for want of a better term, the the Freudian approach to all of this, meaning that uh, it's diagnosed as a matter of, of the way you think and your attitude, and if we can get into your mind and talk through your mind to reach your emotions, we'll somehow be able to root out where the problem is, and over the course of uh, time on the couch, and maybe with the help of modern medicine that that to provide some prescriptions along the way, boom, suddenly you're healed. What you're suggesting is that's that's an overly simplex approach to a problem that's far more complex, and at the end of the day, you might be putting a lot of effort into healing the mind aspect of this, all the while ignoring that what's really at the root, the bigger driving forces, could be physical, could be spiritual. And, and sometimes it's, we don't realize what it is. And sometimes and so, it's all of them, I guess. 
Yeah, sometimes all of them. And if you're going to a counselor and you're seeking out help, I want to applaud uh, that person because it's like, okay, I know I need something. But uh, a lot of times folks say, you know, uh, well, I feel like I need something more, but I, I don't know what it is. And so part of what we want to do is, is help you find what is that something more. Um, and I'm not saying abandon the things you're doing, uh, uh, but let's add to it. Yeah, as to not accidentally or unintentionally leave anything um, uh, off the table that perhaps needs to be addressed that uh, failing to do so could exacerbate the entire process. I mean, we've all heard of people that, yes, are applauded for uh, taking the big step of engaging in counseling, talking to someone about how they're feeling and what's going on. And then if they feel over a short period of time or whatever they've imagined ought to be the appropriate quote-unquote time, to get over it, they don't. Um, those same people often um, sort of devolve into other problems. They perhaps even under the worst and um, final state of that uh, individual could lead to suicidal thoughts. I mean, we can imagine how quickly that can spiral out of control. It's one thing to misdiagnose. I think is. Dr. Jantz is suggesting here there's also um, problems when you underdiagnose, that you take too simplistic of an approach to this. Really, that, that holistic approach, the treating the whole person, um, is what Dr. Jantz is suggesting needs to be done. And with appropriate action taken across the board, healing depression can be for life. The book is called Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. And uh, the book, by the way, newly published by our friends at Tyndale and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jantz's website at uh, Dr. Gregory Jantz, that's J-A-N-T-Z, drgregoryjantz.com. He, best-selling author, more than 25 books to his credit, and the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, also known as A Place for Hope. We're talking about healing depression for life. We'll come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. Let's get a look at traffic for you here again. 548, the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation with us today is best-selling author Dr. Gregory Jantz. His new book is called Healing Depression for Life. Uh, Dr. Jantz, uh, kind of give us, and I, we've just got a short amount of time here, so I realize it's almost unfair, but it's a good reason for folks to pick up the book. <laughs> but kind of give us, if you would, a, a bit of an overview. When we talk about a holistic approach to addressing depression, what exactly does that look like? Well, it means uh, we're going to look at the whole person. Obviously, we have our emotional uh, self. We've got our relationships. We've got things like um, emotions of anger, fear, guilt. We've got all that wrapped in there. We've got what we've learned growing up. Some people, uh, folks, grew up in a home where there was a lot of depression, and you just kind of learned how to live a depressed life, and, and it's what you know. So there's that learning. There's also um, maybe there's hidden addictions. Uh, maybe it's a sexual addiction. Maybe it's uh, a food addiction. Uh, but you, you've tried to find a way to mood elevate, to feel differently, and so you've turned to substances, food, alcohol, uh, sex, 
Uh, and so then what happens is, over time, that you've developed an addiction to those things. So we don't always talk about, like if you've gone in to see a doctor, and you say, doctor, I, I'm really depressed, it's not getting better, you probably didn't tell the whole story. And, and so, you know, it's like, well, uh, you know, I've, I've been a sex addict for 10 years, and you, you probably didn't tell that part. Um, so we, because of embarrassment, or shame, we may leave information out. And so it's, it's like the person that says, you know, uh, I, I, I've kept so many secrets, and those secrets really are toxic to my well-being. And, of course, those secrets, you know, we, we not only do a good job of trying to hide them from others, oftentimes of guilt, shame, um, but also we often try to hide them from ourselves. And I suppose, particularly after we kind of get adept at this, we kind of gain some experience. We learn how to kind of stuff that down and put it in that deep, dark place where we don't want anyone, including ourselves, to ever see it. That can be problematic. Another issue that you talk about in the book that can be problematic is the individual that's struggling with what you call hidden addictions. What exactly are they? Well, that could be, again, the food, the alcohol, those things that we're keeping a secret. One of the biggest ones that we see is pornography or sexual addiction, and uh, gambling's in there as well. So these are hidden addictions that are only known to us, and, and they keep increasing the level of depression, keep increasing the level of anxiety. And so because of embarrassment or shame, we don't, you know, we don't tell the truth about those things. And so we suffer. What's the key? Oftentimes, I know that, that it, it can be a, an event um, or an insight that can sort of pry open this whole Pandora's box that we've been trying to keep stuffed down that will allow us to get this healing process started. If it's different for everybody, how do we know where to start? Yeah, and that's a wonderful question, and it is different for everybody. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we're, we're going to look at is, well, right off the bat, are there hormonal issues? Uh, you know, is there estrogen, progesterone, testosterone? Are there hormonal issues? So we're going to look at the body's physiology. Uh, is there adrenal issues? Is there uh, digestive issues that uh, maybe there's nutrient deficiencies? So we, uh, thyroid, uh, so, you know, our team of doctors will look at these kinds of things because we want to know, okay, in the body, in the body chemistry, what's going on that could really be a significant contributor to this? I had one just recently. It was pretty significant food allergies uh, and uh, it was very, you know, created a lot of physical depression. Uh, one that gets overlooked a lot is uh, people who uh, certain medications that have a side effect of depression. Uh, chemotherapy, you hear the term chemo brain. Uh, so many cancer patients, um, uh, and perhaps they're in remission, but they're suffering a, uh, a deep depression uh, because of the body's chemistry, how, how it's been, if you will, altered as a result of chemotherapy. We see so many who uh, have struggled since uh, having chemo with depression. 
And understandably so. I mean, and and, and maybe the, the short-sighted thinking is that we immediately or singularly attribute that to, well, you know, a person's had a cancer scare, uh, and, and having gone through cancer myself, being a cancer survivor myself, I know what that's like. And and, and, and when you come out on the other side and you've, you've gone through uh, – be it surgery or chemotherapy or combination thereof, and the doctor says, good news, um, you're, you're doing good, you would think, well, you should immediately snap out of it. And we kind of singularly put that into the category of, well, it's an emotional response to the fear of what the potential consequences may be of a cancer diagnosis, failing to recognize that that may be part of it. But the impact of the medications that they put you on uh, to address uh, the uh, the cancer can have a huge impact on on one's uh, mental well being as well. Yeah, I just see that that's an area that gets overlooked, and I want to mention it today um, because there is there's there's help for that. Um, there's the other one we want to look at is well nutritionally. Um, how have you cared for yourself? Are you, you know, you've been eating for years uh, large amounts of, of of sugar, and maybe there's a lack of even exercise. So, uh, what are you putting in your mouth? It's re- I'm reminded of the of the gentleman that uh, we worked with, who, you know, he was doing upwards to ten pots of coffee a day. Wow. Ten. Not ten cups. Ten pots. No, ten pots. I know. I know. It sounds weird to say that. Um, but over time, he had worked himself up, and this is a whole, home pot, that's still a lot of coffee, um, and to eight to ten pots of coffee per day. That's all he did all day long, he drank coffee. Well, obviously, over time, um, and you wonder, how can a person even do that? Uh, is he going to have a really depressed uh, physiology and body? And Well, the answer is yes, he did. And what's fascinating about your observation, even as we talk about the impact of food, we often think of uh, consumption of food, be it a weight problem, uh, whatever it might be, as a a symptom, uh, thinking that, well, a person is eating because they're depressed, not recognizing that maybe, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe from a nutritional standpoint, that it's if they're eating because they enjoy, who doesn't like ice cream, right? But maybe, maybe it is that the kind of food that they're eating is actually causing the depression. So it's it's sort of counterintuitive to what we've all sort of understood at the surface to be causal to this. And as you're learning from our conversation today with best-selling author Dr. Gregory Jantz, uh, this is multifaceted, multilayered, and when you're receiving treatment for depression, um, you got to make sure that the attending physician or your counselor, whatever professional you're working with, is really helping you take into consideration all of these factors, that it's not just your thoughts, it's not just your mind, it's not just sleep, it's not just stress sources, it's not just feelings of anger or fear or guilt, uh, many of these toxic emotions, um, it's not just forgiveness or the lack thereof, it can also be included food and overall lifestyle choices. This book can really be an eye-opener for you to understand more about the multifaceted layer here. If you've been treated for depression, you're frustrated because you feel like you're not making any progress and you think it's just you, well, maybe there's something else going on that you just haven't taken into consideration. This book can be a real eye-opener. Again, it's called Healing Depression for Life. It's published by Tyndale. 
And you'll find it at bookstores across the Bay Area. You can also order it online through Dr. Jantz's website, Dr. Gregory Jantz, doctor abbreviated, Jantz spelled J-A-N-T-Z, drgregoryjantz.com. You can also, if you can't remember that, just remember a aplaceofhope.com. Our thanks to best-selling author, the founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, Dr. Gregory Jantz, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, let's uh, get you updated here again at uh, 6 o'clock. A look first at traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.